going to be a little bit interesting today. My wife told me, she says, oh, last week was good. I said, well, you, you sure? Was it okay? And she goes, well, you were about an eight. Normally you're like a ten. <laughs> not, not in quality, but she's like energy. And I said, okay, well, I don't know what's going on. I'm tired. You know, I don't know. But this morning has been kind of weird. It's been kind of, I feel like a, a coiled spring a little bit. So you guys might get a ten today. I'm not going to promise you something. I'm just telling you how I feel because this topic started off kind of boring to me. I'll be honest. It was from Samuel to Saul. I'm like, okay, well, who's Samuel? All right, we go through this whole thing. And I'm a firm believer that there's a difference between a Bible study and a sermon. Amen? Because the Bible study tells you what the Bible says, who wrote it, the context. The sermon tells you what to do with that information. And I had an interesting week because I started off the week preparing this, this thing that felt a whole heck of a lot like a Bible study. And somewhere around Wednesday or Thursday, some things happened and it became a sermon. So I'm going to take you through the beginning and it's going to be kind of Bible study-ish. I want you to bear with me. We're going to get to a point and I'm going to let you have it. <laughs> because he let me have it. And everything that comes from him, I come and I share it with you. Amen. All right, so let's do this. Um, the first thing I want to encourage you to do, if you have the YouVersion app on your phone, I encourage you to use it today because I'm going to bounce around a little bit. And all the scripture is in the app. So if you have the Bible app, the YouVersion app, open it up. You'll see the three little lines on the bottom right if you're an iPhone. On an Android, I think it's top left or top right. You click the three little lines. It says events. You click on events. And it should say Lighthouse Community Church. From Samuel to Saul. And you click on that. That'll open up all the announcements. Scroll past the announcements. And you'll get to all the scripture. Does that make sense? If you don't have the app. All the scripture is in your bulletin. And I'm going to go through it. I'm going to read some of it to you. But I just want to give it to you. Because we're going to go a little bit. The app is going to be easier to follow. So let's pray. Let's get this thing started. Lord I thank you for the word. That you put on my heart. And I pray that, that you would use me today to share what you would have me share, and I pray that we would all have open hearts and open ears and open minds to hear, to receive, and hopefully to apply your word and your teaching today. So I pray that you would speak through me and that we would be receptive. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we had judges, and we talked about the cycle of sin. These guys were struggling, they're having a hard time, they're, they're worshiping other idols, they're worshiping other gods, and they cry out to the Lord, and the Lord would raise up a judge. Another word for judge is governor. Someone for a limited time only, right? Like the shamrock shake. A limited time only, all right? So here's a judge for a limited time only. And he fixes the problem. They have peace for a little while. But then what happens? They fall away. They start worshiping other gods. They start falling into idolatry. And what happens? They cry out to the Lord again, oh, Lord. And here he comes again, like the, I don't know, the McRib. Limited time only. Here's somebody else, right? Now I sound like a real tubby guy up here talking about McRibs and shamrock shakes. But the judge thing was temporary, and that's important, and I'll tell you why. See, when it comes to 1 Samuel, you want to turn your Bible to 1 Samuel or look in the app to 1 Samuel. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We all remember the song, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, right? So, Old Testament. If you have the Bibles under your seats, it's on page 190. 1 Samuel. Now, God... Haven't talked to the Israelites in ages, in decades. The Israelites haven't heard from the Lord in decades. The priests are corrupt. The nearby nations are threatening them, just like before. They're surrounded by all these enemies. 
And in their own land, they don't have good leadership. Eli, the high priest, his sons are corrupt. They're stealing. They're doing all these things that are wrong. So Israel needs to hear from God again, but they can't just have a temporary judge. Israel needs a prophet. So God raises up Samuel. Who is Samuel? When Samuel grows old and Israel's enemies attack, the the people demanded that Samuel appoint a king. So we're going to talk about a king today. You're going to see the sections are kind of all related to a king. And I'm going to read to you, who, who is Samuel, first of all? The first section is the king and I. Notice we put the king first, the king. We all know who that is, right? The king and I, Samuel. There was two people. Samuel's father, his name was Elkanah, was married to Hannah. And Hannah couldn't have children. So they were married, I think, based on what I've read and what I've seen for a while. And they tried to have kids, but it couldn't happen, which is frustrating for anyone I can imagine. So what did he do? Did he wait on the Lord? No, he married somebody else. He got a second wife named Penina and brings Penina in. And Penina has kids pretty much right away. Elkanah looks at her and she's pregnant, right? She has kids and everything's going well. Now here's the interesting part. Hannah and Penina didn't work together as a team. Penina being the second wife was kind of lower in status. And she didn't like that. So she would stick it to Hannah whenever she could. They would go to the tabernacle to give their their sacrifice and to worship the Lord. And they would have this big feast after the sacrifice. And because he loved her, Elkanah would give Hannah a double portion of the choicest cuts of meat. And Penina would get whatever. But Hannah was his favorite. She got all the good stuff. But she couldn't even eat it. I'll tell you why. Verse 7. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. Terrible, right? She's already upset she can't have kids. Now here's the second wife who's having babies. And she's teasing her about it to the point where she can't eat. On a time where she'd be joyous of sacrificing and worshiping the Lord, she's frustrated. So what does she do? She's desperate. She's sad. She's frustrated. She's upset. What does she do? Hannah put God first. First Samuel 10 and 11, she says, it says, In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you would only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever touch his head. That no razor part is important because that's a Nazarite vow. We don't have time to go into that, but that was basically a commitment to serving the Lord for a time. But she didn't say for a time. She said forever. I'll give him to you forever. And she goes and she says, Lord of hosts. That whole almighty God translated as Lord of hosts, which means Lord of mighty armies or Lord of heaven's armies. Hannah feels like she's under attack. So she goes to the Lord and says, fight for me. It's coming, y'all. Fight for me. I need you. Mighty Lord of angels, heaven's armies, I need you. 1 Samuel verse 17 and 18, Eli answered. This is Eli the high priest. He heard her prayer. He thought she was crazy at first, but he heard it. He understood. And he says, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And she went on her way and she ate something for her face was no longer downcast. Her face was no longer sad. Think about this for a second. She just prayed it. And she's immediately happy. Is that how it works for you? (laughs) Oh, Lord, 
Lord, if this could just work out, amen. Right? But she prayed it and she had faith that it was going to work out. She walked away and said, it's going to be all right. And she went and she ate her food and she was good to go. Amen? I'm talking to y'all today. You're going to talk back whether you like it or not. It's coming. (laughs) Hannah's desperation turned to joy. She had desperation. She went to the Lord who had all the power in the universe and she trusted him that he was going to do it. So her desperation turned to immediate joy. I don't know about y'all, but I could use some joy. God used Hannah's desperation to glorify himself and to save Israel. Her faith was immediate. Verse 20, so in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. And they waited until he was weaned. And at the next trip to the tabernacle, they brought Samuel to Eli, the high priest. She kept her promise. She delivered this baby. She waited until he was weaned, which she probably waited a while because this is a baby she's been waiting for. But she takes him and says, here he is, Lord, just as I promised. Verse 25 through 28, when the bull had been sacrificed, this is the next trip, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord granted me what I asked of him, so now I give it back, I give him to the Lord, for his whole life will be given over to the Lord. And she worshipped the Lord there. Elkanah and Hannah's willingness to fulfill the vow even at great personal cost. Do y'all think it was easy for her to give up this baby she waited so long for? That's the evidence of the godliness in their lives. She trusted God. She was immediately joyful, and she followed through. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 19 and 21. You don't have to turn there. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall on the ground, meaning all of his prophecies came to pass. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. That the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. So that's who Samuel is. Okay. Next section we're going to talk about is me and the king. Notice this time me is first and the king is second. In his old age, Samuel appointed his sons as leaders in Israel, but they did dirt too. They were corrupt. And the Israelites wanted to change. Now, they could have approached it differently, but instead the Israelites put themselves first. Let me tell you what I mean. They said to Samuel, they said, uh, verse Samuel 8, verse 5, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. So now appoint a king to lead us such as the other nations have. They didn't want a leader. They didn't want a temporary judge. They wanted a king. Why? Because everybody else had one. That happened a lot in this world, this city, this county, this state. She's got a Lexus. I want a Lexus. Right? She's retiring early. I want to retire early. First Samuel 8 and 6. But then they said, give us a king to lead us. This displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to him, listen to all the people Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they've rejected, but they have rejected me as their what? As their king. The Lord says they're rejecting me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing it to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the God who will reign over them will claim as his rights. 
little crazy, right? What's so bad about a king? What's wrong with wanting a king? Let me tell you the difference between a king and a judge. The judge was a leader raised up for a temporary limited time only. They didn't install a system of government. The judges didn't pass their leadership on to their kids. Kings do. Kings don't get voted off the island, right? When you become a king, your kids become king, and then their kids become king, and their kids become king. So it was a different thing to have a leader for a time and having a leader for all time. Does that make sense? You with me? All right. Let me tell you, in Judges, you don't turn there, I'll just read it to you. Judges 8.23, Gideon was offered the throne, and he refused it. He said, I will not rule over you, nor shall my sons rule over you, for the Lord shall rule over you. Gideon got it. I'm not meant to be the man forever, he said. He said, the Lord is who we should focus on. The Lord is our leader. Gideon didn't want to be king. But I tell you what, God did plan to have a king. He gave instructions about Israel's future king way back in Deuteronomy. We're not going to read it. But if you read what God's design for, for a king was versus what God says is going to happen to Israel now that they're asking for a king, it's kind of crazy. Because, see, God planned to have a king, just not yet. God planned to have a king, but not yet. See, the Israelites are trying to speed up his timeline. That ever happened to anybody? You're working something at your own pace, and somebody comes along and says, what's taking so long? I've been in school forever. When are you done? I'm going as fast as I can. But Samuel warns him that a king is not in God's plan right now. 1 Samuel 8, 10 through 18, we won't read the whole thing, but he says, this is what a king, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses. And they'll run in front of the chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants, to his favorites. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants and your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and your donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks as you yourselves will become his slaves. And when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Ooh. You still want a king? This guy's going to run everything. He's going to take your, your children and make them warriors in his army, and he's going to take your land and take your food and take your women, and he's going to make you slaves. Does that sound good to anybody in this room? But the Israelites are unfazed. You see, their desperation turned to fear. They're surrounded by enemies, and all these enemies have kings. All these enemies have these royal leaders who come out to the battlefield and they worship this king and they proclaim this king and they fight for this king. And Israel says, you know what we need? We need one of those kings. That's what we're missing. Why do we keep getting our butts kicked? I don't know. Maybe we need a king. Let's get a king. And God says, this is bad. This isn't going to end well. This is going to happen. It's going to be terrible. And they say, we want it anyway. 1 Samuel 18, 19, or I'm sorry, 8, 19 through 21. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like the other nations with the king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the, Lord, all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord, and the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Anybody ever think they wanted something? 
and then you get it, and it turns out not to be what you thought it was, I really want a girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, job, car, right? And you, oh, Lord, if you would only give it to me. And I promise you those things that you wanted, a lot of those things, I can't say everything, God probably had a plan to give it to you in his time. Anybody in here ever rush it? Anybody ever try to help God? Hey, Lord, I know long-term big picture you want me to have a house, but uh, (laughs) I'm getting this one today, right? (laughs) Section 3, Saul is appointed king. 1 Samuel 9, verse 2, Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than everyone else. Verse 17, when Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, this is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. Sounds like God chose him, right? He will govern my people. This is the man. He's tall. He's strong. He's handsome. He will govern my people, right? Here's one of those tricky things that I guess you learn in Bible school. Woohoo, me, right? As I'm studying and preparing for this Sunday, I'm reading these things, and I go back to see what the Hebrew word for govern is. And that word doesn't mean govern. It means to restrain. It means to hold back. It means to shut down or pacify. This word is used to talk about women who aren't able to have children, like Hannah, like Sarah. No, hold back, restraint, not yet. It's not that he's meant to govern, it's he's meant to hold these guys back. He's meant to pacify these guys for a little while. So here's this big and strong guy, Saul, and he looks the part. They can almost see themselves riding out to battle with the super tall guy and all of his armor going, hoo, 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 they're going to be scared of us now. But looks can be deceiving. 1 Samuel 10, they drew lots and they went through this whole process of picking a king. We already know who the king is. God chose him. But when he says, it's Saul, nobody could find him. And Samuel says, where is he? And the Lord tells him he's hidden himself among the supplies. This big, tall, handsome man who's been chosen and has been told that he's chosen by God to be king of all Israel hides. Imagine a president on inauguration day is hiding. I'm tall. I like to think I'm handsome. If somebody said, Chris, do you want to lead something? I'd be like, all right, I can do that. And the day that I'm ready to lead, I go hide? Something's wrong. Looks can be deceiving. He's not confident. He's not ready to lead. He's afraid. 1 Samuel 10, 23 through 24, they ran and they brought him out and he stood among the people and he was a head taller than any of the others. And Samuel said to the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all his people. And the people shouted, long live the king. They're excited. They just pulled this guy out from behind the luggage. And they're still excited. He's still our guy. So what happens next? Saul becomes a military hero. Something happens. I won't go into it for time. But <clears throat> Saul comes around and he kills a bunch of people. Everybody goes, oh, he really is the leader we always wanted. But then Saul messes up. They go to this place and they're waiting for Samuel to come. I'm paraphrasing for time. And they want to give him, uh, he has to do the blessing before they go to battle. 
So here we go. First Samuel chapter 13, 7. Saul remained at Gilgal and all the troops were with him, quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and Saul's men began to scatter. Great leader, right? They're leaving him. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. And just as he finished, Samuel arrives and Saul goes out to greet him. You ever get in trouble with your parents? You try to act like everything's cool. Hi, mom. Act casual. What have you done? Asked Samuel. And Saul replies, when I saw the men were scattering and you did not come at the set time and the Philistines were assembling, I thought, well, they're going to come against me at Gilgal and I don't have enough of the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. How many eyes did you hear in that sentence? I was afraid. So I thought I don't have enough favor. So I felt compelled. Saul put himself first. Sometimes we help the Lord. We think we're helping the Lord. Usually when we do that, it's based on a lot of I statements. Well, I need this. And I see an opportunity. So I'm going to take advantage. I, I, I. You've done a foolish thing, said Samuel. You've not kept the command that the Lord gave you. If you had, you would have est- or he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Saul's desperation turned into disobedience. And there were consequences. So Saul is no longer God's choice, but he's still Israel's king. And now it's not time for the new king yet. So God is going to work with what he has. First Samuel 15:3, Samuel says, Now go and attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Utterly destroy. That word translates as obliterate. Obliterate them. Do not spare them. Put to death the men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Verse 16, 13 through 16. When Samuel reached Saul, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I've carried out his instructions. I did what you wanted. But Samuel said, what is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears? What is the lowing of the cattle that I hear? If you destroyed everything, why do I hear all these animals outside? And Saul answered, the soldiers brought them back. It was them. The soldiers brought them back from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord. But we totally destroyed the rest. You ever do that? You get an instruction and you kind of halfway carry it out. You're like, hey, I I did it. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Yesterday, me and my son are packing up stuff and I paid him a little something to pack up stuff for me. And he did it all well. But I came home, there's trash everywhere. I'm going, man, that's part of the job. You got to clean up. So he did it. We cleaned up together, right, son? The job wasn't finished. Saul answered, oh, and then enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Now Saul continues to plead his case. But in verse 22, Samuel replies, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as he does in obeying him? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of ram skipping down. But because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Consequences. Verse 35, until the day Samuel died, he did not see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had ever made Saul king over Israel. Saul was lacking patience and obedience. The people of Israel were lacking patience and obedience. You see, Saul was a temporary king. He could have been king for all time, but he's a temporary king. 
I'm going to skip a little bit, Mark. This is the part I told you about. We're going to go to section five, modern day politics. I'm not going to talk politics to you. I don't believe in talking politics in church. We're going to come back to four. Bear with me, Darlene. It's going to make sense in just one second. Typically, when it comes to politics, we're not going to talk about who or what we like. But we'll say we rejoice. We proclaim that one candidate is better than another. Someone tall or someone strong or someone that looks like us that we feel shares our beliefs. Or he says the right things or she says the right things. And there's all these debates. There's entire cable news networks devoted to tearing each other down. Facebook is a battlefield right now. Well, I don't hardly even go in there anymore because I'm just like, you know, it's terrible. People that should be loving the Lord and worshiping together and communicating and building up our community and spreading the gospel are battling over laws and, and people. But first Peter 2.17 says, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God and honor the emperor. At the time that that was written, the emperor was killing Christians. You want to honor somebody who's killing us? No, let's fight, get your stuff, let's go to war, protect yourselves, right? No, honor the emperor. Why? Because God put him there. How do I know? Romans 13.1. Paul writes, everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. Go check your Facebook feed. Check your water cooler conversations. Verse 7, give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them, and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Whoo! We're not supposed to say anything bad. We're supposed to honor them, respect them, pay what we owe. That sounds a whole lot different than some of the things I hear on the different cable news channels you might be watching, that I might be watching. But what happens if we have a bad leader? It's your opinion, right? Who's good, who's bad? But what do you do when you have a bad leader? You still have to trust God, right? And some people say, oh, God's in control. Yes, All right, this is the part you're looking for, Darlene. We're going back to number four. Why do we have these leaders, these imperfect leaders? Saul, Samuel, imperfect. Presidents, pastors, mayors. Why? Saul is is a representative of, of everything that could be wrong with leadership. God is showing us the need for true leadership. He's showing us a need for an eternal kingdom and the need for a king like Jesus. Saul is impatient. Jesus is patient. Saul sins. Jesus did not. Saul, Solomon, they had earthly riches. Jesus taught about eternal riches. These earthly kings show us the need for an eternal king. And Jesus is a king, but he's a different kind of king. John 18, 36, Jesus said, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is what? Is not of this world. Some of y'all have that sticker on your car. But do you live like that? 
Luke 17, 20 through 21, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say here it is or there it is over there for the kingdom of God is already among you. What does that mean? The kingdom of God is both now and future. The kingdom of God is both now and future. How can that be? When he says the kingdom of God is among you, it can be translated as the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is in your grasp. See, we have an advantage over the Israelites. We know who Jesus is. And we know what to do with this information. What do we do? We choose to put God first. Hannah put God first. The Israelites put themselves first. Saul put himself first. And now you have a choice with all the wisdom and understanding that you have at this point. You have a choice of who you're going to put first. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, very popular. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Submit to the king. Choose to put him first. Now, I'm, this is the part where the Bible study becomes a sermon. I had a rough week. I had one of those weeks where you take inventory. Did that ever happen to you? Where you look around and you go, how in the blue blazes did I get here? And you're like, man, this job or this car or this school or this money or this house, whatever it is, you start to think of all the things that either are going wrong or not working or maybe they're taking too long to work. I had one of those days. And I was so down. I was grumpy. I was irritable. Jenny looked at me like I had three heads. She's like, and basically steered clear for me for a day. I'm sure Donovan did too. Because I came home from work just like, you know. And I was just so angry and just bitter. And I was filled with all this resentment. And I left. And I went to call Jenny. She didn't answer the phone. So I called my mom. Your wife don't answer, boys. You can always call your mama. And my mom talked to me. She prayed for me. She gave me a piece of advice. She says, praise him. Just yell hallelujah. When you're frustrated, just yell hallelujah. And I'm listening to that on the phone, and I'm going, that is the last thing I feel like doing right now. Hallelujah. The highest praise. Jesus. Right? Yell hallelujah, son. I said, Mama, you're crazy. Why would I yell hallelujah right now? Did you hear me? Did you hear everything that's going wrong? Yes, I heard it. Praise him anyway. I needed change. Just like the Israelites, I wanted change. I was uncomfortable in my situation. Just like in Judges, when they cried out to God and God sent him a judge. Just like when Hannah cried out to God and he gave her a child. Just like when the Israelites cried out to God and God gave them Saul, I was so down. Y'all wouldn't have recognized me that day. True? Tell it. Say it nice and loud. I did not feel like myself. I didn't feel like a pastor. I didn't have a whole lot of joy. I was salty. But see, I was writing this sermon. I'm about to get emotional. Y'all ain't ready. And Hannah let her desperation turn to joy. 
The Israelites let their desperation turn to fear. And Saul let his desperation turn to disobedience. I was desperate and I had a choice to make. Y'all don't hear me. I had a choice to make. It's not if you will have trouble. It's when. It's not if you're going to be upset. It's when you're upset. It's not if you're going to feel desperate. It's when you feel desperate. And when that happens, you have a choice. And on the advice of my mama, I let my desperation turn to praise. I'm about to cry. I hate crying up here. But I got to tell you this story because it's not that simple. You don't just say hallelujah and everything turns around. I had to take a different kind of inventory. I had to remember all the things that he did that led me to this point. So when I look at where I stand and I say, this sucks or this stinks or I hate this, I can look at the other pieces and say, but he delivered me and he brought me and he provided and I'm blessed and I'm here. My grandmother, she died when I was a sophomore in high school on May 30th. And that was one of the reasons this was a hard week. Because she'd been gone a long time. I was his age when she died. I miss her so much. I still remember what it sounds like when she would answer the phone. And this week I have a coworker that owns property up where she used to live. And so we're talking about rental houses and making it big someday. Inventory, right? <clears throat> and I'm looking at the area that we used to play. I'm looking at the roads we took to her house. And I know she's not there anymore. But she left me a legacy. A legacy of praise. A legacy of teaching, a legacy of focusing on him. She said this, and it's the most powerful thing I've ever heard in my life. And I'm sharing it with you right now. She's dying of cancer. And my mom is visiting her and she says, honey, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. That's Job 13, 15. I didn't know where it was. I was 14 years old, but I found it and I carry it. Because on the darkest day, And the hardest time her body is failing and she knows this is the end. She says, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I am dying, but he is still king. Psalm 66, 17 through 20 says, for I cried out to him for help, praising him as I spoke. Not pity party, not sad, not kicking rocks. Praising him as I spoke. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. We got to be right with the Lord, y'all. You can't be doing dirt and go, I praise you, fix it. All right? But God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer. Praise God who did not ignore my prayer or withdraw his unfailing love from me. You have a choice who to serve, you have a choice how to react, you have a choice of where you put your hope. In the eternal king or in an earthly leader? In an all-time situation or a temporary situation? What does all this mean? God is in control. You might not see it. You might not know it. You might not feel it, but he's still in control. I want to put a picture up on the screen. Can we get the float, Mark? I've got to give credit to my wife. 
<clears throat> quick sidebar. Me and Judy met in 2006. <clears throat> 2005 was when I had my come back to Jesus time. And the Lord put it on my heart to get my education and learn a word so I could do this job, so I could do what I'm doing right now. And she was light years ahead of me in understanding the Bible. And I felt like, well, I'm the man. I should be the, the spiritual leader of the home, but my knowledge was this big and her knowledge was this big. And so when I was talking to her about things like this, and I'm going, it doesn't make sense. And she gave me this analogy. She said, God's timing is like a parade. She said, we see this float. It's a nice looking float. We see it. We're excited about it. Or maybe we hate it, whatever. We react to the float. We might see the other one down the road. We might see the one that just left, but this is how God sees it, Mark. God sees the entire parade route. I'm going to walk over to the TV real quick so y'all can understand what I'm talking about. You are right here, right at the, let's say, where the white part starts, and you're complaining like I was. How did I get here? This stinks. And you can only see that one float. But God sees the whole thing. He knows what's happening right now. He knows what happened in the past, and he knows what's coming. You might not be able to see around that corner, but God can. Amen? So when you're desperate like I was, when you're hopeless like I was, when you're upset like I was, when you're taking inventory like I was, let your desperation turn to praise. Jenny, when I came home from getting dinner, which is when I talked to my mom, she said to me, you were so upset, and now it's like you're a different person. True or false? Her exact words. Everything cool now? She's looking at me like, is everything okay now? And I said, yeah, you were upset. You're like a different person. I said, it's all good, you know, let's just get on with the night. It was like a, a, kind of like a flip with switch. I'm not promising you a, a switch. What I'm promising you is if you change your mindset, he can work through that. If you change the way you look at a situation and say, this stinks, this blows, I wish I had this, I wish I had that. Instead of saying, he did, he gave, he provided, he brought me through, he did. You lose all your perspective. And you get desperate. And you cry out for leaders. And you accept kings that aren't meant to be kings. Or you put your hope in earthly leaders that are temporary instead of putting your hope in the eternal leader. The one who can see the whole parade. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Jess, you want to come on up? And I'm going to change something on you, Jess. I hope you don't mind. Can we do how great thou art? We only got a few minutes left. A little smaller crowd than normal because all the guys are gone. But we're still going to have a time of response. You don't have to come up. You don't have to do anything. You can sit right in your seat and think about what we talked about. Maybe you need to do some inventory and think about where you are. Maybe you're thinking about how hard it's been or how unfair it is. You've been thinking about what you want that you don't have yet. But I want you to, while you're responding to this song, I want you to think of all the things that he's done to bring you to this point. You're wandering through the field and you turn around and you say, you look at the breadcrumbs and go, oh, look, that's what God was doing. That ever happened to anybody? Where you're like, man, I was going through this wilderness experience and I just talked to kids on Friday, Heather and I actually, because Heather came through like a boss, about identity. When the Lord was tempting, when, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, Satan wasn't attacking his hunger. He wasn't attacking his desire to lead, to have the world. He wasn't attacking his ability to heal. He was attacking his identity. If you are the Son of God, do this. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself off this temple. If you are the Son of God, I will give you all of this. 
It wasn't an attack on what Jesus wanted. It was an attack on who he is. And that's how the enemy works. He attacks who you are. But I'm telling you right now, as she just sang, and boy, we didn't plan this, but I'm glad it came through. I am a child of God. And no matter what's going on, no matter how hard it is, no matter how hurt I am, no matter how bad I miss my grandma, no matter how bad my job sucks, no matter how tight my money is, no matter if my car is broken, whatever it is, I'm still a child of God. You can take all the things away with nothing. I am still a child of God. You can take my life and though he slay me, Yet will I hope in him. Y'all okay with this? <laughs> I don't know if I'm ever going to get up here and preach again. June 22nd is my last day. I'll still be around, and if they ever need me, I'll preach. But I love you guys with every cell in my body. And I thank you for giving me this opportunity to share my gift and what he's given me to share with you. And as I grow and move on and plant a church and whatever I end up doing, you guys go with me because I love you. So where am I? Do I have any elder wives here today? Coming up, Patty, Liz, anybody else here? Kathy, come on up, Kathy. If you need to be reminded that you're a child of God, maybe you don't need to be reminded. Maybe you just want to thank him. Maybe you just want to say thank you, Lord, for this word. I wasn't planning on coming, but I'm glad I came. Remember who you are. Remember who he made you to be. If you don't know who he is, I will show you the way. It's not a sprint. You can't get there quick. It's a marathon, but we can take that first step today. If you have questions about who Jesus is, if you have questions about who he is and what he's done for you, if you just need prayer, if you just need to be encouraged, or if you just want to say thank you, Jesus, because I know I'm a child of God, you can come up here and pray with any of these lovely, lovely women. You can grab me. You can grab Jenny. You can grab Mary. Or you can just sit still. So we're going to sing one more song, and then Jess is going to dismiss us. And again, I thank you.